Welcome back, everybody. This is Gameplay. I am your host, Matthew Cause. You are listening to TSN 1050. But I bet you already knew that. Very soon, it's funny, when the Super Bowl ends, suddenly the attention turns a lot more towards baseball. And there's been some great work done by our own Scott Mitchell, looking at all things Bo Bichette, the health of George Springer, the um, any little mini tweaks going on with Jose Barrios. And it's funny, you sort of just, you know, open your eyes and I start reading all your favorite baseball writers. And it kind of just takes like a day. It's like, oh yeah, Kevin Kiermeyer's here and, and Varsho's here. And oh yeah, Brandon Belt and Eric Swanson. And then you're like, oh wait, where's Teoscar? Oh, that's right. He got traded to Seattle and that kind of bums you out a little bit. You feel good about the fact that Boba Shed has avoided arbitration, gets that three-year deal. No one wants to deal with arbitration. It is messy, and it is awkward. So now we can focus more just on the game of baseball. We know that um, Vlad, signed a, uh, Vlad signed a contract as well. So we're, the good thing is we go into this year without any conversations about contracts, about extensions, about management versus owners, owners versus versus manage, uh, or sorry, players versus management, management versus players, and all that. And we can focus on things. What was the size of the base? And oh yeah, the ban, uh, the shift has been banned. You know, and then you go through it all, and and then after that, when you go over your own team, then you look at the American League East, and you go, wait, is Boston still going to be bad again? How much better is Baltimore? What's their climb going to be like? No one has any idea about Tampa because they trade all their stars away. And then we look at the Yankees. Well, joining me now, and it's been ages, one of our favorites, a must-read, one of the reasons why you got to subscribe to The Athletic. It is Keith Law, all things baseball, all things food, all things board games, all things movies. Keith, thanks so much for joining the show today. Thanks for having me. So let's start where we normally would with a baseball conversation. I haven't seen RRR yet, but that's on the top of my movie list. Uh, I didn't know if you've seen it yet, and if not, if there's another movie that you would recommend with Oscar season upon us. Uh, I have not seen it because it was only nominated for Best Song. I hear it's good. Obviously, it has its, uh, its fans, but we are trying to spend our time going through as many of the Oscar nominees as we can. Have yeah. you seen After Sun? No, no, I haven't seen After uh, Sun yet. Paul Mescal, very deserving Best Actor nominee. Yep. I thought it certainly should have gotten a Best Picture nomination. It is hilarious to me that Top Gun Maverick and uh, All Quiet on the Western Front and the whatever that Blue Man Group movie is all got nominations. <laughs> After Sun is clearly a top five movie of the year, and it gets horribly snubbed. Um, that and Decision to Leave were the two big snubs for me among candidates I've seen for Best Picture, All right. uh, and I highly recommend both of them. Okay, I'm going to do After Sun. I will, I will admit, I did enjoy um, Top Gun, and I, I, I just watched All Quiet on the Western Front, and I, I thought it was just... Um, Visually, I thought it was just a, and the sound was a stunning movie. Sure. Um, but uh, but okay, After Sun, it, yeah, yeah. Did you know war was bad? Wait, turns a, out that's the that's the theme of All Quiet on the Western Front. Wait, war, a, war is bad. But yeah. in Top Gun, war is good. So they balance yes. each other out. This is true. This is true. Well, they should have like in a matter <laughs> antimatter thing. They should have destroyed each other, mm. and neither should have gotten nominated. One other question about this. How much better would Top Gun have been if you found out halfway, because there's like snowy mountains, if they were invading mm-hmm. Canada? Like I thought, I had that thought uh, yeah. in my head and I started giggling at the idea that Maverick was trying to get Canada. 
that would have actually been much funnier. <laughs> that movie is highly entertaining, by the way, but it is not a best picture. It is not a great movie. It's no. entertaining. No, that's it, great. That's it, fine. Yeah, entertaining is good. Yes. Yes, it's, it's like last weekend. I finally watched Amadeus, and then afterwards I watched Face Off. There's room for both in our lives. <laughs> yes, there is. Absolutely. Um, let's start here. We'll get the question you get asked, but you just replace the team with a different team. Um, right now, mm-hmm. the state of the Blue Jays farm system, I imagine it's not exactly stocked because, you know, Toronto's one of the organizations that's going for playoffs more than they are for rebuilding. Yes, they've traded some prospects. They've graduated some prospects. Um, I actually think, and they only had one prospect on my top 100. I actually think the farm system is in better shape than that might imply because I think there's quite a bit of depth in, um, particularly position player depth in high A and below all the way down to the DSL. And I think um, I'm basically projecting that that group will take a nice step forward this year. And also there is that little group of pitchers led by Ricky Seaman, but others like Gaspar Zuleta and Hayden Younger who were in double A to finish last year, who will probably all impact the major league club at some point this year. It remains to be seen in what roles, but I do see a place for all three of those guys on a major league roster on a contending roster, not just this year, but going beyond. Yeah, and uh, oh, sorry. Uh, is there? Uh, I was just wondering again if you could throw out any names that like we should keep an eye on. Maybe guys we don't see in April, but guys we see in June or really August, uh, maybe. Yeah. yeah, it would really be those those guys. Like I think Zulueta and Younger probably come up sooner. You know, Tina Man obviously is the jewel of the system, so you build yeah. a lot of your pitching plans around him. Right, you're not rushing him to the big leagues when you have a need, but Zulueta. It's premium stuff. He actually has the arsenal to start. He has never shown the commander control to start, and he's obviously barely stayed healthy. That might be the guy you bring up first because you need someone in the bullpen. He's probably going to sit 97 to 100 in relief with multiple additional weapons. That might be the guy you say, look, he's a little older. He hasn't stayed healthy anyway. We bring him up for short-term pitching help while we try to continue to develop Tiedemann to get him to work on uh, some of the secondary stuff. And also just he's another one. He's got a build up because he kind of wore down at the end of last year. You want to make sure that you are pacing him so that he can continue to increase his workload to become a starter without excessively fatiguing him over a long season. What would you make um, your overall thoughts of the Blue Jays offseason in its totality with guys that were traded like Lourdes Gurriel and Teoscar Hernandez, the Varsha's belts, Kier Myers, Swansons that have come in? Like, just if you throw it all into a big Bula base, um, you know, how, how did this offseason taste for you? Um, I like that trade quite a bit with Arizona. You know, they gave up a lot. I think Gabriel Moreno has a chance to be a real star, a high average, not much power, but a high average, solid OBP, plus defensive catcher. But you've got to give something to get something, and Varsho is a pretty you – know, for, for a guy who's already got some time in the big leagues, he's no longer uh, – uh, consider a prospect or a rookie, but he's still got, I think, some upside remaining. I still think there is some offensive development there, and it has turned out, much to the surprise of, I think, basically anyone who ever saw this guy, he's a really good defensive outfielder, like a really, really good defensive outfielder, and that is something I think the Blue Jays needed on multiple levels. I think it helps them quite a bit just in and of itself, and also um, between him and Kiermaier, you know, if this keeps George Singer from ever having to take a single inning in center field. And that, that furthermore helps him stay healthy going forward. Great. I am completely on board with that. Also, you know, it's, it's a minor thing, but love seeing them at least get Boba Shed under contract for a couple of years. Hopefully they're able to do a longer extension with him at some point. But I do think, um, 
you know, I think that one move in particular, that's the big thing of the offseason. And I, I thought it was a really good one. I thought they very clearly addressed a major need that they had. All right, tricky question for you. You can only pick one. Again, we're joined by Keith Law. Follow him on Twitter, at Keith Law. Very easy to find. Uh, and writer for The Athletic. Which And both both these options are important. Which one might be the 51% versus 49% of importance? <laughs> a fully healthy year, or a relatively fully healthy year for George Springer, or a rebound year for Jose Barrios? Which one's more important? Oh, that's a great question. Um I think the rebound year for Berrios does more for this team, um, particularly since he's such a disappointment. I've heard they are at least open to offers on him because they're concerned, right? They've got several more years on this contract. Yeah. Well, if we're just not getting what we paid for, maybe, you know, with trade my bad contract for your bad contract, I can completely understand that. But if he does go back to being the pitcher that they thought they were acquiring in the first place, that's a pretty big swing versus what, he provided or didn't provide essentially last year, maybe more than the switch from what Springer gave last year to say 150 games of him this year. It's close, but I think Berrios was just, he was so bad last year. So disappointing. And the, I always fear you have a guy that you've essentially penciled in for 170, 180 innings or more. And who pitches like that. Yeah. And then suddenly you're putting, you're trying to get more innings out of your bullpen. You're putting more pressure on the bullpen. The bullpen's more fatigued. You start churning through pitchers. There's a real ripple effect. That is not the same when a, when a top position player goes down. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree. But also, okay, I'm happy with that question because the length of time of your pause meant okay, that was a good question. If it's anything yeah, long, agree. yeah, if it's longer than two two and a half seconds, um, you know what? Let's you always love talking about prospects with you. So it's kind of a different question, and and you might not have an answer for this. But, you know, you, you've been part of organizations, part of the Blue Jays in the past. How tough is life right now for Nate Pearson? I'm not talking, obviously, personally, but as a guy who was this incredible prospect, rightfully so, he has all these tools, all the skills, but injuries, bad luck, whatever has derailed it, where you've gone for part of your young, developing life where everything comes easy, and now everything's hard. How, how tough is this right now for a Nate Pearson? I feel terrible for him, right? That's the, you know, the weight of the expectations. I don't care who you are. You have to know. He knew he was, I think at one point I ranked him as the best pitching prospect in baseball, which by the way is a pretty, uh, what's the word? Not dubious, but that is, you don't want that crown, right? <laughs> it's Forrest Whitley was that guy once. I remember Adam Miller in Cleveland. It wasn't my list because it was a little before I was doing this, but he was another one. Best pitching prospect in baseball. Miller never got to the big leagues. Whitley still hasn't gotten to the big leagues. And, and, you know, whether it's injury or bad luck and, you know, think Mark Appel, number one pick in the draft, like, you know, they don't always work out. And it's why every year the top pitcher on my top 100 creeps a little lower, a little lower, a little lower. Eventually she's going to be a hundred position players. You know what? These pitches are all terrible. I give up. You know, I Pearson at least one, he got there and that is not nothing. And he's going to have, some kind of big league career. It may be checkered because he may continue to get hurt and just be on and off the injured list. I hope that's wrong, obviously. But guys who have a history of getting hurt do tend to continue to get hurt. But yeah. there's a place for him, right? I do think he will be able to, this is a trivializing way to say it, he'll find work. He will get opportunity. I hope he gets the extended run of health to show us even a tiny bit of what we thought he would be. If at this point he just ends up a 16-year-a-year a year reliever, but can kind of stay healthy, I think he'll be valuable. And 
you'd have to say, given how far he seems to have fallen, mostly because of health, that's that's a pretty good outcome for him. Yeah, and and yeah, I remember reading all your work on him and uh, just all the analysis. And yeah, it's tough to see. Ooh, okay. I just I just thought of one more question that might be more difficult than my last one. Are you ready for this, Keith Law? What is more awkward, Tom Cruise sex scenes in film or arbitration uh, meetings in baseball? And Tom Cruise like sixty. Yeah, I mean he's he's older than I am. I think he's actually shorter than I am. Not you don't want to be either of those things. <laughs> Are you? Uh, I by the way, I brought that up as well. I'm uh, I'm five seven. I take a point of pride in knowing that I think I'm taller than Al Pacino and Tom Cruise and Prince. Oh yeah, you're right, and Prince. Oh, we got to do the Tuesday it was top very five. Fun size. Yes, 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 absolutely. But you haven't answered the question. More, uh, more awkward. A Tom Cruise sex scene like we saw in Top Gun, or when mm-hmm. uh, player and management has to go to arbitration to decide how good is this player really. Oh, the, it's clearly arbitration because the Tom Cruise sex scene is over in like two minutes. That is true, and there's never much nudity. Not that I'm complaining, but on Top Gun, it I was don't just need them. La- it was them laughing. It was la- them laughing in it with a t-shirt. Yeah. yeah, it was actually. It was. I remember as that happened. I'm like, wow, we didn't see anything. Nothing. That's kind of shocking. Yeah. Like for a big blockbuster movie, there was no gratuitous anything. No saxophone. I feel like that's that's so rare at this point. Yeah. Do you have a, uh, we'll continue the awkward with this awkward, do you have like any stories or tales, either you were involved or, or uh, people at peer group talking about it, about just w- one of the worst arbitration meetings? Because they just seem so like, I wouldn't want to be any part of it. I'm cringing just thinking about being on one end of, those, uh, of that table. I, I, we never went to one when I was with the Blue Jays. Blue Jays had a long, long stretch, I think, where they didn't go to a hearing. Um, which I it just philosophically said is probably not great. I, I used to argue one of these years we have to go to prove we'll go mm. right, to make our, you know, so that we have some credibility when we threaten to go. Um, you pick the right situation, obviously, but we, we never went in the, it would have been five springs I was there where it was possible. Um, we came close, but never actually went. All the bad stories I've ever heard involve the player being in the room. It's just it, nothing is improved by the player being in the room because the it, it is at the the entire purpose of management in that room is to argue that the player deserves the lower number, and that means spending a lot of time running the player down, essentially. And uh, too many players, they just shouldn't be there, right? That you're, there's no good that comes of you being in that room. You take it personally, but it's not. And you know, I am no defender of you know capital over labor, but in that situation, it's not personal. It's just business. Ah, uh, see, the capitalist comes out in you as always. By the, <laughs> by the way, Keith, I've pulled up and I might play in my next segment uh, from the Huffington Post. Top 10 best sex scenes involving Tom Cruise. Oh. Did you, wow, why yeah. would you do that? Um, you know, I like to amuse myself. Uh, let's see. Oh, Jerry Maguire with Kelly Preston at number two. Okay, you know what? Now we're just wasting your time. Keith, I uh, <laughs> love having you on. It's always a blast. Chat with you soon. Thank you so much. And again, as always, check out his work from The Athletic. All the best, my friend. My pleasure. Take care. That is... <laughs> Keith Law. By the way, I, I bring this up just because in the latest Top Gun movie, uh, uh, Tom Cruise and, and the woman that he's involved with, the sex scene is the two of them like on the bed, and then it's them just like falling over, laughing, and they're both like fully clothed. It was a weird moment.